podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are doing well. I hope that you guys are staying safe as always and hope that everything is all sunny and peachy wherever you are listening or watching this show around the world. The Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is in the F1 history books and it certainly was a turn up for the books for the F1 World Championship just when we thought Max Verstappen was going to have it all his own way. Sergio Perez, his teammate, manages to get the W on the streets once again. 2022 was definitely the year for Perez to be the F1 king of the streets, and he proved why once again, consolidating an impressive pole position to victory. Of course, we should mention he did a great job to manage the gap to his teammate, when at one point in the race, we thought we might get a battle between the two of them, it never looked anything close at all. Will that be a sign for the season ahead? Will we get an all-out war at Red Bull between Checo and Max, equivalent to what we saw between the likes of Hamilton and Rosberg at Mercedes in 2016, maybe Hamilton and Alonso in 2008, Senna Prost all those years ago. I could name so many different inter-team rivalries where a championship was on the line. We may get that in 2023, but still early days. But as it was when Checo looked like he was going to be the first Mexican driver in almost four decades to lead the world championship since Pedro Rodriguez, Max Verstappen stole it at the last with a fastest lap on the final lap to get that extra championship point, which maintains his championship lead. However, it is now only a point to his teammate. Plenty of other stories to talk about throughout up and well throughout the paddock, I should say on today's race in Saudi Arabia. But joining me on this episode, the DNF1 panel member, the OG himself, Courtney Pine. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing, mate? Looking nice and calm and relaxed. And what are your immediate thoughts following the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix? Plenty of different stories to what we got following the Bahrain race two weeks ago. Yeah, hello, everyone. Yeah, doing well. Um, Yeah, it was certainly an improvement compared to um to Bahrain, which wasn't too difficult. Um certainly wasn't the best um Grand Prix that we've had in Jeddah, but I think the the biggest talking point we could probably take from this race is Red Bull's uh pace seems to be uh unbeatable at this point, but they certainly don't seem to be invincible and that could well be a big talking point as we had through the last stages of the um, of the season. Absolutely. And of course, we want to hear your thoughts on this one as well, guys. So let us know in the comment section your thoughts on the race and, of course, on all the major talking points from today's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And incidentally as well, we also want you guys, actually, I should say subsequently, we want you guys to ask some questions to us. We're going to do a bit of a Q&A in our next episode, talking about some of the big questions from F1 2023 so far. So get your questions in on what we've seen so far, and we'll do our best to answer those in the next episode. Of course, if you like what you see on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new, give us a five-star review if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform. We will give you a shout-out on the next episode 
as a way of saying thanks for your ongoing support. Plenty of you have done so in the past, and we're really grateful for your support. So breaking down the race, Courtney, of course, as we mentioned, Red Bull once again securing the W. 1-2, only this time Checo Perez gets the win over Max Verstappen. Now, obviously, the pattern of the race was set after qualifying. Max Verstappen, as we go back to qualifying, had a drive shaft issue, a drive shaft failure, if you like, which took him out of qualifying in Q2, wasn't able to set a lap time, starting P15. Now, around the paddock, there was an expectation almost, rather than a a prediction, if you like, that Max Verstappen was, at the very least, going to end up on the podium, or even more, win the Grand Prix from 15th position. We saw something equivalent to that in Spa last year, where Max went from 14th all the way to the front in almost 12 laps. Did you feel that Max was going to be able to do something like that again, or did you kind of hold out hope that the nature of this Saudi Arabia Grand Prix may make it a little bit more difficult for Max to just carve his way through the competition and get an easy victory? I think the difference this time round is the uh, the circumstances that Red Bull find themselves in. They know they've got the best car. They know it's going to take a long time for their competitors to catch up. So this year, in this moment in time, they have the luxury of being allowed to allow their drivers to race. So if this was, I don't know, mid-season, last season, you can you could have bet your house on it that Red Bull of our Sergio Perez to, you know, preserve the tyres a bit more and uh, let Max catch up and pass and go on to win the race. But again, as I said, because they have this luxury in hand, they will let the drivers race. And <laughs> let's be honest, in terms of a, a proper world championship battle, our hopes are hanging on Sergio Perez to have some more better days because Red Bull will allow them to race, something that we haven't seen um, since um, Checo was joined. Obviously, it's going to be a steep task for him to get the better of Max. Um, you know, there's there's a lot surrounding Max Verstappen as as a person, and and I, and I feel that sometimes the stuff that goes around around Max, a lot of it isn't his fault. I think sometimes people forget how much of a talent a talented driver this lad is. So as much as some people would want to see Max Verstappen beaten, it's going to be very difficult for Checo to do that. But if we just play devil's advocate and he has a few good weekends, we have seen in a Verstappen camp, frustrations can build up very quickly. So we could get a good championship battle, even if it's just in the first half of the season. If Paris continues and has some good weekends, we could have a little bit of spice in the uh, on the F1 menu this year. Well, lots of people were quite quick to point out after the race, the... Well, the ever-present disappointment, if you like, of Max's father, Jos Verstappen, in the paddock following the race. I mean, look, I'm sure he's a very, very proud father and he only wants the best for his son, but you could very much tell, or it didn't take a genius to tell, that he was not happy after that race. You could tell the disappointment in his face. And for all things considered, I I don't know, look, I'm not a father myself, so I obviously don't understand in the same way that Jos Verstappen would with his own son. But at the same time, if I was standing there and my son had, or daughter, if you like, you know, let's be progressive here, had 
gone from 15th to second, despite the fact that they're the world champion and, you know, they're the favourite for the season. They have the fastest car. Perhaps it's in a different league to everything else right now, most likely is. If someone had said to me that my child would finish P2 after a difficult Saturday with reliability issues and the only person that beat them was their teammate, a teammate which until today they had pretty much covered off all ends up on performance anyway, I'd have been delighted with that. I mean, maybe that's why someone like Max Verstappen is as good as he is. You know, the standards are set by the family and, you know, they push each other to succeed and stuff like that, you know. But it was, it was, uh, how can I put it, humorous, I suppose, or entertaining to look at that. But at the same time, I almost felt this could get spicy. You know, today was a day where we saw, despite all the caveats that were thrown against Max, he was put in a position where Checo was within reach after that safety car, got himself up to P4, got a cheap pit stop, managed to be on the same strategy. He was there or thereabouts, but Checo, on the restart, got away, built up a deficit to Max of around five or six seconds by the time Max got past Alonso into P2. And at that point, Checo just having covered all ends off. Now, I know Max was complaining about brake balance issues and the drive shaft stuff. Never really seemed to affect his pace as far as we know. But Checo seemed to have it in the bag. And for me, Courtney, you know, all the drama and the spice that's going to come from whether it's from Jos Verstappen or Max Verstappen or Red Bull themselves or Checo's family, if they want to get involved, you know, write, write the script how you want to see it right now, guys. But for me, I think that's really encouraging to see Checo Perez put in a performance like that. Once he got past Alonso after losing the lead at the start, it never really looked in doubt. Yeah, a couple of things. I think, first of all, if we have a look at Sergio Perez's performances, his main weakness is probably his qualified performances. His race pace isn't actually that bad. It's just that bit of stardust that obviously Max Verstappen has often gives him the advantage and we know that having clean there, having nobody in front of you gives you a good pace advantage. That's just the science of F1. But Sergio Perez's race pace isn't actually that bad. So if Sergio Perez was to improve his qualifying form, we could have something a little bit more interesting. And the reason why I want to make two points is because they actually converge. The second thing is the reliability of the car. We saw in 2016 with Hamilton and Rosberg, right? Rosberg performed... Probably, probably had his best season in Formula One, but the reliability issues dogged Lewis Hamilton more, which led to Rosberg winning the 2016 championship. I'm not saying this is going this is going to happen, but it just seems that with the slight question marks building up with the Red Bull um, reliability, along with the tension it could build in the Verstappen camp. These two things can converge. And the only question mark I have over Red Bull is that despite a strong feeling, shall we say, amongst 99% of us that they can't be beaten by their rivals, they could beat themselves from within. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as I said already, I think it would take a lot for Red Bull to throw away the advantage that they have right now by you know, locking horns and going into each other. I mean, this isn't the first time Red Bull have been in this position. We often remember when, especially when they were leading the championship and dominating, when Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel on a few occasions when they came together and it created all sorts of headlines, but Red Bull still had those titles wrapped up by the end of the season and quite comfortably. 
you imagine by the time we get to Abu Dhabi at the end of the season that Red Bull are very much going to be in that position anyway. Whether it's going to be Max or Checo, we'll have to wait and see. And as I said, the fact that we are talking about this is rather encouraging for the championship. This may be the narrative we have to try and push to, not, not as fans, to force a championship battle. But we all want entertainment. We all want excitement. As much as I'm sure Red Bull fans or Max fans would want to see Max dominate in the same way that Sir Lewis has done for years, Michael Schumacher done for years, Seb Vettel, we still want that championship fight. So, you know, maybe we have to acknowledge these performances or days like this where things don't necessarily go in Max's way, at least, you know, qualifying-wise, and Checo's able to capitalise on that. We have a fight on our hands. Will this continue throughout the season? That's the question. Well, that, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's about having the entertainment value because the regular narrative that I've seen online and sometimes in the comments of our videos is that didn't see you guys complaining when Mercedes were dominating. But that's because in some of those seasons, we did have the Hamilton and Rosberg battles. In fairness, and obviously we, in 27... in fairness, Court, we didn't have a podcast until 2020. So uh, <laughs> most of those... Oh, no, I'm talking about the online. <laughs> when are you and I ever active online except for well, the podcast? About that's, the why online presence. <laughs> that's why we did the podcast. And now we exist yeah. online, guys. Here no, we I'm are. saying we'll yeah. see from the general... Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know from the mean. F1 yeah. fan base online, we, we, we know they're a different beast. And yeah, we, we did. We had the battles between Hamilton and Rosberg. We had the battles in 2017 and 2018 between Hamilton and Vettel. Yes, that was limited because the Ferrari did another Ferrari in those seasons. But that, that that's the thing. Like if we if you're gonna have a team completely dominating at the front, you want to be seeing the entertaining battles. We saw it when McLaren dominated years ago. We had Senna and Prost. This is what I'm saying. So it's people aren't complaining that it's Red Bull at the top. People just want to be seeing the entertainment because in the day it's a sport and that's what most people want to be seeing. But at the same time, it is the sport is about the excellence of engineering. So you have to give credit to the team for what they've done. Exactly. And you have to pay homage to that. You have to congratulate them for the great work that they've done. Of course, we're two races in. We shouldn't be writing anybody off at this point in the season. But I think over F1 history, when we see a team have such an advantage that Red Bull tend to have, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to be caught to a point where the championship will not be won by then. I know people will say, oh, well, what about 2009 with Braun? You know, they had a big advantage like this, almost three quarters of a second at the start of the season. Red Bull caught them up and they made a championship fight of it. It's plausible, but can you really see anybody out developing Red Bull, even with the cost cap sanctions that they have to a point where they will be on equal footing as them by the end of the season? Probably not, to be honest. Maybe Aston Martin, but they don't have the resources at this point in time. And any advantages that they do have based on what they're doing is only going to last for about six months until the uh, ATR regs reset themselves and Aston Martin have less development time because they're P2 in the constructors. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully we will get some battle between Checo and Max this season. I think what it's going to come down to, Courtney, this year is how good Checo can be. Can he sustain days like today where he was utterly brilliant? You could easily make a case that even in normal circumstances today, if Max had not had that dry shaft issue, Checo could have beaten him today. Maybe. We don't know. But based on what we saw today, 
Great drive from Sergio Perez. There was a moment on the radio where he had a bit of an exchange with his engineer over what Max's pace was doing. Red Bull trying to set him to a certain pace. Checo trying to question the logic behind doing it. Almost as if he felt that perhaps Red Bull were trying to, not undermine him, but trying to quietly and strategically manoeuvre Max closer to him without him realising. And then all of a sudden, you have them two fighting for the race win. Checo really enforcing a position like, no, we're doing this, I'm doing this, I'm not going to allow you to try and take this race away from me. That, not paranoia, but that distrust, if you like, of your team. I can understand where Checo's coming from in that regard as well, because it's not the first time that Red Bull have asked him to move aside to let Max in. Max and win a race that he doesn't necessarily need to win. Well, that, that that's the thing. As I said at the very beginning, Red Bull do have that luxury because where they have such a great uh, performance advantage over the competition, they can allow their drivers to race. If they didn't allow the drivers to race, it would be very disappointing, not only for the general fan base, but also for Sergio Perez because you'd be thinking, look, if you've got that much of a pace advantage and you're still not letting me compete with my teammate, what's the point of me even being here? Because obviously you want to be, as any driver would want to be in a race winning car, but really what's the point of being a Formula One if you're not going to have the opportunity to become a world champion? Isn't that what they all dreamt of when they were, when they were children? So if he has a sniff, of a world championship or a possible world championship, knowing that there's only one guy he needs to beat to be a world champion, that's going to give him the extra motivation to go to the extra mile. But I do feel that the one area that Sergio does really need to improve on, if he was to keep Max honest, is his qualifying form. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, who's to say that if Max didn't have the drive shaft issue based on what we saw in qualifying and what we saw in practice, Max probably had about three or four attempts in his pocket on Checo in qualifying. And that's still a huge deficit. That is an area Checo is going to have to close the gap on because even if it's just P2 for Perez, the psychological advantage that Max will have knowing he's got that much time in his pocket over his teammate, that is going to really serve him well over the course of the season. So Checo, great job this weekend. Really happy for him. Deserved the race. Um, you could argue a case for being driver of the day, despite Max getting it, starting from 15th and going up to second. Um, a dominant display from Checo. And uh, yeah, if this is going to be a championship battle this year between these two, bring it on. Can't wait to see it. We'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out. But still very early to call, but Red Bull very much in the, the lovely position of being able to do whatever the hell they want and still finish first and second. Moving on to the next story. Aston Martin despite the fact that they were not able to keep the podium that Fernando Alonso thought he had won. He thought he'd had his 100th podium in Formula 1, which was arguably cruelly taken away from him, but I think fairly under the regulations. It must be said. I think it was a fair cop at the end of the day, but of course we'll get into that in a moment. It was still another great job from Fernando. And Fernando bringing the entertainment as he often did. I think a lot of us were kind of counting on Fernando to try and make an impact or a marker on this race. And he did at the very beginning with a great start to get ahead of Checo Perez. I think we all knew it was a matter of time before Checo would eventually get Fernando back. But uh, certainly bringing the entertainment, old Nando, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think Fernando Alonso has been the sort of main positive talking point um, about the season. You know, the, the, the guys... Uh 
almost 42 years of age and he's um showing some of these younger drivers how it's done. So it's uh certainly encouraging to have a sort of new lease of life to the uh to the F1 grid from the oldest driver on the grid. Um and let's be honest, Adam, Fernando Alonso's the generation of driver that we watched growing up. So there is that sort of nostalgic part of me that wants to see these older guys do well. See, Hamilton is one of them, but there is there's a Hamilton fan part aside of me that's like, well, he's he's the old rival, but then there's a nostalgic part that's like, well, look, he, he's one of the guys we watched back in the day. So you want to be seeing them giving these younger drivers a, uh, a run for their money. And I want to be seeing more Fernando Alonso against the likes of Leclerc and Max Verstappen. So let's hope Aston Martin keep this kind of pace up and we get to see these... Um, these battles have been waiting for for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, he had a little bit of a battle with Max Verstappen, although in fairness, I think Fernando knew that Max had so much more pace after the safety car coming. He just let Max go. It would have been nice to see them two go at it, but I'm sure Fernando will have plenty other opportunities. It was a case of just picking and choosing your battles, and I think Fernando knew very quickly his race wasn't with Max Verstappen and the Red Bulls. His race was very much with the Mercedes and and you could argue the Ferraris, but they were absolutely nowhere near him all day long. So that's that is a huge positive to take for Aston Martin. Um, I mean, in terms of Fernando Alonso, Colney, we've talked so often throughout the life of this podcast of how great he is, where he stacks up with some of the all-time greats. I have no shame in saying that I think he should go down as a better driver than Sebastian Vettel in the all-time history. Someone that's won double the world championships and almost double the races of him. I think Fernando Alonso has had a better, always been better than Seb, even though he's not had a better career than him, but you know, more down to choice and where you are at the time, I suppose. Where does Fernando Alonso stack stack up compared to the current crop of F1 drivers? For me, I think he's top three. I honestly think right now you've got Max Verstappen, Sir Lewis Hamilton, and you know, I know people say, oh, well, you know, Lewis then got the car. Look, I get it. But Max right now is just unbelievably good. So, you know, we can't really knock him just because Lewis has a crap car and Max has a phenomenal car. Um, But Fernando, after them two, definitely the best of the rest, really. I mean, you could argue Charles Leclerc to a degree, but I think Fernando's got a proven track record that he's still able to deliver those performances. And the racecraft is superb. So, yeah, Fernando, top three for me. Yeah, look, if you have a look at the club, we, we know that the club's not the finished article. We know he has the, the potential to be great. Whether he can achieve that at Ferrari is another matter. And I'm sure that's a question he'll be asking himself if Ferrari continue to struggle for, you know, to maintain a proper championship battle. But no, I, I agree. Look, Fernando's right up there. We, we even saw winners in the slower cars, um, particularly during his time at Alpine, when he had the chance to put on a good defensive show against the likes of Lewis Hamilton is still able to showcase his talent. And I think it's also inspirational for, you know, other drivers come towards the latter end of their career that you can extend it. Kimi Raikkonen gave us a slight example of that, but we know that Kimi Raikkonen was just there just for the fun of it. He wasn't there. He, he, mm. doesn't, he, he didn't have that fire that Fernando has. So, I don't know, a driver like a Lewis Hamilton or other drivers in their, you know, mid to late 30s would be thinking, well, look, Fernando can do it into his 40s, so why can't I? So, there's any drivers out there wanting to have a long career, what Fernando's doing so far this season just shows that you don't have to necessarily retire the moment you reach 37, 38. No, absolutely. And I think it comes down to drive and motivation and determination. And I think with Fernando Alonso, he's just been ruthless throughout his entire career. He's always driven or worked with the mindset that he's 21 
and that he's making his way in Formula One for the first time. He's double the age and he's won so much. You'd think like drivers before him, like Kimi Raikkonen, as you said, Kimi always produced a moment or two in his career, like Austin in, what was it, 2018 in Austin, yeah. where he won his final race. You know, he was phenomenally good. In the Lotus before he came back to Ferrari when he won a few races there. Fantastic. But it was always moments. It was never anything sustained. Even, you know, when he had the machinery, he was always second best to Seb Vettel in the Ferrari. And with Fernando, yeah, you just got to take your hat off to what he's doing right now. And Aston Martin as well, complementing that with a very good car. I said in the Bahrain review that I felt confident that Ferrari still had the second fastest car right now. I don't think that could be any further from the truth. I think Aston Martin right now are Red Bull's biggest threat. And that kind of takes us to that ne- to the next point of discussion, Courtney, is despite Fernando not getting that podium today, again, we'll talk about that in a moment, he looked in that Aston Martin a cut above everything else on the grid so far. The Mercedes, yes, they're in a fight with him, but they were never really nipping at his heels. Lance Stroll was very unlucky with the reliability issue today, but... You've got to take your hat off to what Aston Martin are doing right now, what Fernando Alonso is doing right now. They took a bold gamble last year on their car concept reshuffle to be a bit more like Red Bull. Obviously, there's some Mercedes and Ferrari in there as well. But it does bode well for a team that right now are limited compared to their competition. You can only imagine how good they're going to be once they're on a level playing field or even beyond what their rivals are at this point in time in 2026. Yeah, it's, it's certainly encouraging for Aston Martin moving forward. I'm certainly happy because they're, part, they're a big part of my bold predictions that I made. Um, I think the big question for Aston Martin will be, let's see where they're at after the big bulk of upgrades come from some of the um, other teams. I think there's a lot of talk for from particularly Mercedes that from Baku onwards, we might be seeing the uh, some big concept changes, almost a B-spec car that there was even talk about before the season started, if this current concept wasn't going to work, let's going to move on to this B car. I feel that the outcome of these big upgrades will decipher whether Aston Martin will continue to be the best of the rest, or if the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes, with the obviously with the financial backing they have, the facilities that they have, the 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 history of you know being race winners. These type of things can make a difference because with the incident um, that obviously cost Fernando the um, the podium, could that be just a slight example of that lack of grit that the very top teams have because they have to get these slightest details right to get race wins? Yeah, that's true. It's something that we'll obviously have to discuss and Aston Martin, I'm pretty sure they will have to look into because as you said, Courtney, the smallest error, and it can be the difference between getting a podium and not. But don't worry, Ferrari make mistakes all the time. So, you know, Aston Martin (laughs) would be fine. Let's talk about that incident. Now, first of all, as unlucky as it was, you know, first and foremost, Fernando Alonso, very, very silly to park his car outside the grid slot. Obviously, it was a little bit to the left. It wasn't anything crazy like Sebastian Vettel in Shanghai a few years ago when he was literally parked his car right next to Lewis Hamilton's. Um, on the road and the FIA seemed to be clamping down on this they did this with Ocon in Bahrain when he slightly overshot his grid slot and they've done it with Fernando Alonso for positioning himself too far left outside the grid slot and he got a five second penalty fair cop 
Alonso kind of did get the benefit of being able to serve that penalty during the safety car where the field was slowed down, so it allowed him to retain track position in that regard rather than fall behind George Russell. But the issue at hand was the rear jackman sticking the jack to the car and touching the car before the five seconds was up. Now, for those of you new to Formula One and aren't familiar with how this all happened, basically when you serve a five-second time penalty in the pit lane during your pit stop, you have to have your car parked up in the grid position. Your mechanics that would normally service your car during a pit stop, they're not allowed to touch your car for the first five seconds your car is stationary. After those five seconds is up, they can then do the pit stop and go on your way. The rear jackman before those five seconds is up had touched the back of the car. Now we couldn't see it clearly, but we could kind of tell from the footage that it was positioned and touching the car. So fair cop, the FIA awarded a 10 second penalty to Fernando Alonso on top of his race time after the race. Now, Courtney, we don't need to debate the penalty. I think we can all agree it was a fair cop, fair decision, throw the book in him. The issue once again, however, seems to be the timing that this penalty was awarded. Fernando Alonso's pit stop, what was it, during the safety car, lap 24, lap 25? Mm-hmm. The penalty was awarded after the race. Actually, it was much earlier than that, actually, I should say. It was much earlier than that. Fernando Alonso, after the race, saying, you cannot apply a penalty 35 laps or so after the pit stop. And to a degree, I think he's spot on. I don't understand why it took the FIA, or the stewards in this case, so long to award a 10-second time penalty in a race that didn't have a lot of incidents. Let's be honest, the only thing they were really monitoring was track limits or the occasional black and white flag for weaving that Sir Lewis Hamilton got and Carla Sainz also got a warning for as well. So why is it that the stewards continue to take this action of deciding when to award a penalty rather than just investigating and doing it? Because let's be honest, it didn't take them long to investigate the the actual incident and then award the penalty when they did it? I think I have an answer to your question, Adam. Now, do you remember after the 2021 season where we saw the constant hounding from the team principals to the stewards to uh, grass each other up? That was outlawed. In the uh, final laps of that race, we saw uh, quite a few messages coming from George Russell's engineer saying Fernando Alonso might be get another penalty, might be getting another penalty. I just get the feeling that that was Mercedes indirectly grassing up Aston Martin for what happened during that pit stop, which raised, which alerted the FIA stewards to have a look and then give the penalty to Aston Martin. So I feel that could be a plausible reason why it took so long for the penalty to be given. That makes sense, though, because I remember hearing that on the broadcast and everyone was like, what? What's Alonso's yeah. already served his penalty? Like, what's he getting another one for? Like, you know, with Ocon, and it and it was the same thing. But with Esteban Ocon, they were pretty quick to review that, given the penalty, and they had to serve a ten-second one. That's how we all kind of knew that we were expecting Alonso to get a penalty if he was guilty. And you know, you bring up a great point. Did Mercedes go and basically report Alonso to the stewards and say, like, you need to check this because they were touching his car to get a penalty? Now, some people might listen to that if you are listening and think, oh, here we go, Mercedes grass in there complaining they get what they want. That's not true, though, because the fact is, is that, you know, the stewards always say to the teams, oh, if something happens to you on track, uh, we can't monitor every single thing that's going on on every single camera. You guys need to report these incidences 
if and when they happen. I'm pretty certain Mercedes would have been watching Fernando Alonso's pit stop, and if they were reporting it, they'd have done so at the time it happened. They wouldn't have sat there and thought, oh, 10 laps to go in this race. Do you want to report that incident yeah. that happened about 30 laps ago? Um, let's see if we get anything from it, take a punt. They wouldn't have done. So the stewards would have seen that happen with Fernando Alonso, and this is where we start getting to those weird territories again about how long can you wait after awarding a penalty because so much happens in a live Grand Prix race. You know, it's not like football. Oh, if you don't give a VAR decision and a goal happens or something like that, it changes the complexity of a game. In F1, you could have easily had a situation where Fernando Alonso carries on, something happens, he retires from the race afterwards, but George Russell was impacted by the fact that he had to stay behind Fernando all the time. You know, you can come up with your yeah. own reason as an example, but time and time again, I don't understand. The stewards always say, oh, you need to give us a break. Oh, you know, people make mistakes and stuff like that. But I honestly don't understand why things like this, more often than not, get overlooked or missed. And Alonso, Aston Martin, even George Russell was annoyed about how long it took to do that because, you know, he could have pushed more. So Lewis Hamilton said, oh, well, I could have pushed a bit more, but he didn't finish ahead of Fernando after the penalty was awarded. He just missed out by a few attempts. So... You can understand why it's and how it affects people's races and how annoying it is that they just don't, okay, this has happened, let's review it, do we think it's a penalty, done, all in 10 minutes. If it's an easy one, you don't wait 40 minutes and then decide to do that one. It, it's it's silly, quite frankly. Well, it's, it's, it's something that we've spoken about a hell of a lot on this podcast because the stewarding does seem to impact races or the way that the races are stewarded do seem to impact the uh, the race or the stories that come from the race way more than they should. Obviously, the big one is the World Championship that was decided by the referee. You know, obviously nothing as dramatic as that has happened since, thankfully. But there is still a long way to go for the, the stewarding because it still isn't good enough. Well, they had... um What they call it? Is it a statute limitation? I'm just trying to remember the legal term for it. But obviously... You know, that there is an argument to be made that how long after an incident happens in a race do you just say, well, it's it's been so long now, we can't really award a penalty here or there because so much has happened in this race, it just wouldn't be right. Obviously, there are mitigating circumstances to that, but I'm wondering if there's something like this should be, if it isn't completely included already, perhaps something F1 should consider putting in. I remember, I always remember 1998, the British Grand Prix, and for those of you that are old enough to remember that race, or if you watched it, um, absolutely freaking love you, you legends. But Michael Schumacher won that race in the pits in Silverstone. And he served his penalty at the end of the race when he shouldn't have done. Obviously, he should have served it before because he had a 10-second penalty, stop-go penalty it was. And the reason why he served it is because it would have cost him 30 seconds. He was then awarded a 30-second time penalty following the race, which cost him the victory at the time. Ferrari then appealed this because the stewards took 31 minutes to award the penalty in the first place that Michael had had, or Michael's claim to have served. They then signed the document incorrectly to acknowledge this, and the appeal was upheld, because the rule at the time was that you had to award a penalty within 25 minutes of the incident happening, where Michael would pass, I think it was Alex Verts under yellow flags, and uh, to unlap, to lap him, but obviously didn't give him the place back. That's what you got the penalty for. And... 
it was an absolute mess. It was complete controversy. I think all the stewards that signed the appeal all resigned afterwards because of how embarrassing the decision was. My point being, Courtney, these things have existed in the past. Should something like that exist now with, um, as I said, the timeliness of awarding a decision? Because as Fernando Alonso said, he could have gone a bit faster. He could have built up a gap to mitigate that penalty. But unfortunately, because of the ineptitude, if you like, of the stewards, he's been denied a fair opportunity to keep the podium that he worked so hard to have. Well, I feel this is a problem. I feel that the stewarding needs to improve before that law does get implemented because we're still seeing that things are being missed, important things are being missed, and in different circumstances, you could decide the outcome of a championship. So I, I feel that I do agree those kind of laws should be brought in. But the steward in general needs to improve before we get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, quick note on Lance Stroll, very unlucky with his reliability yeah. issues. It was one of those where you could see on the replay there was a few puffs of smoke coming out the exhaust of his car and then they told him to stop. So obviously it looked like a power unit issue and they just had to get him to stop before it got even worse. So uh, a shame for Lance Stroll, but uh, another decent drive under the circumstances. But... Aston Martin very much delighted with how things are going for them. Unfortunately for them, of course, they lost out on another well-deserved podium, which would have been Fernando's 100th podium. Might have to wait another race or two before he gets that, but uh, Aston Martin very much in the fight for P2. Let's move on to Mercedes now. We spent a lot of time on Aston Martin, so uh, I think we'll have to give Mercedes due justice as well. But despite all the issues that Mercedes seem to have with their car right now, Corny, I think if someone had said to him you'd finish third and fifth in, in Jeddah, I think they'd have been delighted with that. Absolutely. Um, they obviously very much deflated after Bahrain. I think a lot of teams were deflated after Bahrain, to be fair. Um, but there, there was talk that they've taken a step forward and you know they're they're hoping to continue to take these steps. And in comparison to Bahrain, it was a step forward for Mercedes. Obviously, they want to be competing at the very front. But considering a disaster after testing and where they were, I think you're absolutely right. I think they they would take that result. I feel that they will be wanting to get close to Aston Martin. That would be the next step for them. And also, they've also been happy to have got clear of um of Ferrari because going into the race, and I raised it in the uh, the race preview, you felt going into Jeddah that Mercedes were looking more behind them rather than ahead. I feel that they would have felt that finishing ahead of the Alpines would have been an achievement of, the, of, you know, that would have been good enough. But the fact they finished ahead of the um, the, uh, the Ferraris, and okay, one of the Aston Martins through something that was out of their control, they considered that a solid weekend. And the drivers were also closer. And I do feel the talent of both their drivers helped Mercedes get the result they got today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a... Interesting race. A mixed bag of emotions for Mercedes. I think props, first of all, to George Russell getting his and Mercedes' first podium of the season. A bit unfortunate, not able to enjoy the moment on the podium. But uh, again, that kind of ties into the issue we had with the FIA and taking forever and a day to uh, sort out their penalty system. But it was a great weekend for George Russell. In qualifying, you know, he was in the top four. All right, he started third on the grid because of Leclerc's penalty. But he managed to extract the absolute maximum out of the car. He looked quicker than Sir Lewis all weekend. And even in that phase of the race where Lewis was on better tyres and 
Mercedes were trying to get George to let Lewis go so that he could get after Alonso, probably unrealistic under the circumstances. George emphatically said, no, I'm not doing this. All right, he thought Alonso had a penalty at the beginning, so he wanted to try and deal with that. But even after they corrected that, George got his head down, started picking up the pace, and he had his teammate covered. And, you know, Courtney, I think we've, we often look at Brazil to talk about how impressive George Russell was against his teammate. But I'll be honest with you, even that weekend, it looked like Sir Lewis had the pace on it. It was just the way the race panned out. George managed it brilliantly. But this weekend, he really had the measure on his teammate. It must be said. So, you know, big credit to George Russell. Yeah, look, another good performance from George. I feel that once again, anything surrounding Lewis Hamilton is very much open to massive scrutiny. Um, again, I saw some remarks online where people were giving George Russell grief for what happened. Look, as the Lewis Hamilton fanboys, I'm sometimes labelled in the comments, I'm going to go to George Russell's defence. We're in the early stages of the season. I understand that team orders are legal now, but we're in the early stages of the season. This is this is where the drivers should be allowed to race each other. And to be fair to Lewis, I didn't actually see him complaining that much on the radio. So I feel that Lewis Hamilton fans were more bothered by it than Lewis Hamilton himself was. And I, and I, and I just feel that I just feel we have to simmer down when it comes to anything surrounding Lewis and Max Verstappen because it can become tedious. Like these guys are here to race each other; they're not here to appease fan bases. Well, that's it. I mean, George is not going to lie down and wait for Sir Lewis to retire. Nobody really knows when that's going to be. I don't even think Lewis himself knows when that's going to be. And, you know, as long as Sir Lewis wants to stick around, George Russell has got to show Mercedes that he is the man. And the only way I think he can do that is have days like today on a regular basis where he's saying, look, you can say what you want to say to me, but I'm the guy now. I'm the one taking this team forward. I'm the faster driver. And I'm the one that's going to get the results. And on today's merit, this weekend, there's absolutely no argument to be made that George was the faster Mercedes driver. And he got the result. He got the podium. He was very, very good this weekend. So Lewis Hamilton has this amazing ability that no matter how bad things seem to be. And for up until the safety car all weekend, it looked like it was going to be a tough one. But he has this amazing ability to stick at it keep himself in the running. He got the safety car he needed. I think a lot of us thought it came a bit too early because he was on the harder tyres. He started on the hards where everyone around him was on the mediums. I'm not sure what the logic was from Mercedes on it, but the way the race panned out for them, it turned out to be a good call. Ended up on the mediums, got ahead of the Ferraris by, you know, fortune of the safety car with Leclerc, great overtake on signs, did a good job to consolidate that P5 and, Look, it's not the position that a lot of Sir Lewis Hamilton fans would want. I'm certainly confident it's not the position he would want. But on days like today, these are the days where Mercedes really rack up their merit in a championship fight, whoever it is with, because they're getting good results on difficult days. So imagine how good they're going to be when their car is up to co with what they actually need it to do. Well, this this is what leads on to... Um why there should be more encouragement for Mercedes moving forward. Because if you have a look through Lewis's career, generally speaking, he is a little bit of a slow burner. It usually takes him, usually get to the European phase of the season where you usually like, you start to see the best 
of Lewis. I fully suspect that to happen again this season. And if, you know, Mercedes are going to go down more of the the Red Bull um, style of, of car, I feel that will suit Lewis more because I feel that Lewis and Max have similar driver styles. So if, if Mercedes do go down that way, I feel that we'll be seeing an even better version of Lewis Hamilton. But I, th- I think instead of, you know, fan bases, you know, having a go at each other, these are the guy. These guys are going to work as a team to get Mercedes up there. If there's a falling out between the two drivers, which you know, the usual suspects would be hoping for, that's not going to benefit the team. They're going to be trying to rack up as many points as they can, damage limitation, gain data, take on different strategies, different setups on the car to understand, as we saw with Lewis last season. Mercedes have two great drivers. And it will be their drivers that when Mercedes eventually do get back to the front, which I think they will, they will have not only Lewis Hamilton, but George Russell to thank for that. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of talk about Lewis's immediate future right now. We're going to have to wait and see because Total Wolf strangely seems quite reserved on this topic, almost to the point where he's literally saying all the things to create headlines by saying that, you know, if Lewis can't win a world championship here, he needs to go somewhere else to find a team that will give him a world championship winning car. Now, I'm not suggesting that Toto's saying, well, if Lewis don't like it, he can lump it and leave. Uh, Far from it. I think it's one of those where it's just quite easy to talk about these situations after two races of a season, which Mercedes don't look anywhere near close to winning the championship. So, We'll have to wait and see what they can do. Lewis himself was saying that he just can't feel connected with this car. He needs to gain confidence. If he's still racking up a P5 and beating the Ferraris in a car he's not confident with, I just can't wait to see what he's going to do when he is confident and connected with the car. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But not a bad day for Mercedes. I think they'd have took P3 and P5 if it was offered to them this weekend. Moving on to a team that could only dream of a P3 and a P5 at the moment is Ferrari. And, oh... Ferrari Sympathy Corner is growing and growing and growing by the week. There's plenty of room for everyone in the Tifosi to join me on this one, but a lot of pain right now. It feels a long time ago since Charles Leclerc was fighting for the win at Jeddah with Max Verstappen last year, leading the world championship to now, if it's not reliability, it's the car being slow and... You know, Leclerc, very unlucky today, despite the recovery that he put forward, did a great job to qualify P2. Of course, the 10 second, uh, the 10 place grid penalty pegged him back, did a good job in the opening stint. The safety car kind of ruined his race, pegging him back behind Hamilton and his teammate Carlos Sainz. But even then, Courtney, Ferrari just didn't seem to have an answer for the Red Bulls, didn't have an answer for Aston Martin, didn't even have an answer for Mercedes. I mean, what is going on with Ferrari right now? Well, that's the thing. Look, there was there was all this crisis talk with Mercedes, and yet, look, it's only one circuit, but it seemed that Mercedes had the uh, had Ferrari covered. So, what on earth is happening that Ferrari would be saying it a lot? It was pretty much the thumbnail of our race preview, but there's just so many unknowns surrounding this team. I remember sharing you something look this morning about you know the the potential that for that the Ferrari engine can have. Are they? Do they have serious doubts over the uh, the power unit, which means their straight line speed has been compromised? Are they having problems with the setup? Are they still struggling with tire degradation? I still don't think we've seen 
the the true potential of this Ferrari. It just seems that even though they they generally are, they are they're just a massive enigma this season. Like now more than ever, I just cannot explain what is going on with this team. They're, they're honestly you just you just can't call where they're gonna be. No, and this was a circuit that a lot of us, myself included, thought Ferrari were definitely going to be in the fight. Maybe not necessarily for a win, but I think people were kind of hoping that Ferrari were going to be much closer to Red Bull and perhaps establish themselves as the second best car and the second best team in F1 right now. That couldn't be further from the truth. And it's really worrying. People can throw as many caveats or mitigating circumstances to offset what is going on at Ferrari right now and to explain this deficit almost to a point where it's going to give us hope that they're going to get it right under perfect conditions. But when does F1 ever operate under perfect conditions, especially perfect conditions for Ferrari as well? So I don't know, mate. I, I, I heard what Charles Leclerc had to say after the race when they asked him, is there a miracle solution? Will this take time to fix on the car? He said he hopes so. But for now, he doesn't know where this miracle solution is going to come from after the safety car. I mean, I, I said before the start of the race, I thought anyone starts on soft tyres are an absolute idiot. Charles Leclerc starts on soft tyres. And I just looked around <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's typical. That said, he did a good job on those soft tyres. It, it got yeah. him up a few places, got him all the way up. I think it, what was it? P6 behind signs, Russell Alonso, uh, P5 actually. Um, he was ahead of Verstappen on the road, got up to P5 before the pit stop. The safety car I was very unlucky about because that came out a lap afterwards. But for me, what summed it all up at Ferrari, not so much the pace or the reliability issues that they've been having already this season, but still the strategy and the mistakes that are being made on the pit wall. Xavi, Charles's engineer, telling Charles Leclerc to speed up between the safety car lines at the end of the lap and the start of the lap where they're not timed or running to a delta. They can do whatever they want to stay ahead of Hamilton. He's given Charles Leclerc this mass message after he's passed the pit lane exit and Hamilton's about four seconds down the road. Like, what race are you watching, Xavi? Yeah. Like, Charles Leclerc's like, well, why are you telling me this now? Hamilton's gone. And it's like, the car's not reliable. The car's not fast right now. At least get the other areas right. The only thing right now, actually, there are two things. The only two things going well for Ferrari right now is, for some reason, they seem to be very good at pit stops, still pulling out the fastest pit stops. We saw Bahrain 2.23 seconds before the start of the race, the fastest pit stop. They beat that again today, 2.1 seconds with Charles Leclerc's pit stop. Ultimately, it didn't really matter because of the safety car, but at least they're getting that right. And Charles Leclerc himself, despite the fact that all he's got to show for himself so far, Colney, is a miserable P7 when... On a better day, you could argue that he could have had a podium, perhaps possibly if he was starting the race where he should have started without his uh, without his grid penalty. Well, that's that's the thing that the, he's having a grid penalty because the the car was already having problems in the first race, and and, and I'm looking at the management of Ferrari, and again I'm comparing them to Mercedes here. I don't know what strategy they've gone into this season with. Maybe they had a lot more optimism. But Mercedes had the strategy where they said, look, we're going to start with this concept. If it doesn't work, we're going to move on to this B-spec car, which goes more towards the Red Bull concept when it comes to the aerodynamics. Have Ferrari, you know, put the funding into this year's car, thinking this is the only concept we're going to go with. Are they going to stick with this? Unlike Mercedes, are they going to stick with this 
for the rest of the season. That's my big worry for Ferrari. It does look like there's pace there to be unlocked, but they seem to be so worried about the reliability. I still feel that's a big issue, and it's because both cars didn't have any problems today. That could well be because they're not running certain elements of the car to full power yet. And it, it just seems that they're just no closer to finding the solutions. And it, it just seems that, you know, Red Bull have done a fantastic job, but it doesn't help the other teams that are all chipping up over themselves. It's like Red Bull just like having a laugh whilst everyone else is getting tangled up in their own feet. Well, Aston Martin did their part. They followed the right yeah. path. Unfortunately, it was the Red Bull one, but everyone else around Red Bull right now, it's just, yeah, it's just abysmal and not good enough. Carlos Sainz still struggling to come to terms with this new car. He, in my opinion, I thought he was off the pace of a, a lot of last season. Yes, he won the Silk, the British Grand Prix, did a great job there. I always felt he was off the pace compared to his teammate. I think that's coming to this season as well, despite the fact that he's the one that's picked up the results, but that's purely because of reliability. And even though Leclerc was stuck in P7 today, Sainz, at no point did Carlos Sainz, after that first pit stop, look like he was going to be ever involved in the fight. If In a way, I wouldn't have been surprised if Ferrari had asked him to move, swap position, see if Charles could have a go. But by any time which Ferrari would have thought of this, it would have been well too late. So... Lots of questions to be answered at Ferrari. And right now, they just don't seem to have an answer. And um, honestly, Courtney, right now, I just want to be able to give Charles and Carlos a hug and just say, look, lads, it's going to be okay. But the more we see this from Ferrari, the more I often look back to 2022 and think, was that the opportunity? Are we ever going to get that close to try and win a championship again for the foreseeable future? Could well be. But again... Plenty of time to turn it around. Ferrari have got to do it. There's no non-negotiable with Ferrari. It has to be has to be done for them. We'll have to wait and see. Let's move on to Alpine because I need a, I need to pick me up here. Uh, Ocon, <laughs> Gasly, eighth, ninth. Alpine, much much better from them. Obviously, they want to be up there with the big boys. They want to be fighting with Aston Martin. But for the time being. I think we can all agree Alpine starting to establish themselves of the best of the midfield runners outside the top teams. And uh, yeah, Ocon Gasly, they they didn't exactly lock horns that much. There was a bit of a moment after the safety car restart where they were together. But uh, yeah, I think they'd have been very happy with their two drivers this weekend. No, that's that's fully where they expect to be. Maybe exceeded the um, expectations. Let's not forget that Esteban Ocon that qualified Lewis Hamilton. So... You know, I think I think for Ocon's ego to uh, beat Fernando Alonso over the course of a season and then to out qualify Lewis Hamilton, I'm I'm sure he'd be very happy with himself. Um, but yeah, I think very happy. They should be very happy at um, Alpine. I think they'll be hoping the rest of the season goes like this. I I feel that if Alpine just keep their elbows tidy, keep them in, don't barge them out too much. They should have a solid result, probably. They, as you said, they should probably aim to be finishing the best in the midfield. We probably expect Red Bull to run away with it, and then the the next three teams behind them to be in the same region as each other come the end of the season. So, yeah, I think Alpine would be happy with that, and I think they also need to rack up these points because let's not forget that McLaren are also coming in to uh, coming in with a B spec car in Baku and. Given the performance that we saw from Oscar Piastri this weekend, McLaren could be going on a surge 
from um, during the European season. So Alpine need to be racking up these points, racking up these points, whilst they have this advantage over McLaren. Yeah, absolutely. P9 is very much going to be the P7 for 2023, the best of the rest. And at the moment, that's between Ocon and Valtteri Bottas. Gasly, I'm sure, definitely going to be involved in that fight this year. So, again, a good weekend for Alpine. As I said already, they'd want to be a little bit higher up, but they were there or thereabouts. And at the end of the race, it was pretty much them two fighting amongst each other. So, yeah, good job from them. Can't really say too much about Alpine, but, uh, yeah, I think they'd be pretty happy with that performance. But, of course, they're going to want to find a bit more pace and be a bit further up the field. P10, Courtney... That was the best battle on track, I think, all <laughs> over. Kevin Magnussen, Yuki Tsunoda, the second half of that race after the safety car, where Yuki did a great job in the Alpha Tauri to get all the way up to P8 after the safety car, then went down a few spots when the Alpines got him. But then he had a race-long battle with Kevin Magnussen, ultimately won by K-Mag. I don't know if you saw on the uh, I did. broadcast. I heard, I heard it. You heard it. <laughs> I think I heard that from here. I don't even think that was on my TV. I'm pretty sure I heard an echo of someone going, no, it's Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, that, that's going to be an out-of-context moment on social media this season. But uh, you've got to love it. Look, he's going to be massively disappointed to miss out on that point. But... Before the season, I had Yuki Tsunoda down to be flop of the season. And look, only two races in. But he's had a solid start. Given that, let's be honest, the other tower is awful this season. He's, I think he's beaten Nick DeVries in both of the races so far, I, I think. so. Yeah, I mean, Bahrain DeVries was kind of left hung out to dry by his team in that yeah. regard. But in this race, no excuses this time. Tsunoda very much asserting himself as the dominant driver within that team. As I said, early days, but these are the sorts of performances Sonoda needs to put in on a regular basis. Even though he didn't get points today, I think there's a lot to be said for his performance this weekend where these performances on a regular basis will keep him in the team. And, you know, this come out after difficult stories about Fran as Toss talking about the engineers at AlphaTauri where he's just lost trust in them. They asked him where the car was weak. He said in the straights, in the corners, under braking other than that the car's great and he just said he didn't he said they've made progress but he just doesn't trust his engineers anymore because they say they're making progress but it's not showing itself but as i said you know sonoda putting in a good job and over the course of the season corny as we saw in bahrain with sonoda that it, when things happen and go your way if as long as you're in those positions you will score a lot more points than you would do when you're having a fantastic day once in a blue moon so yeah, good stuff from Sonoda. De Vries not bad, but uh, yeah, a better day for AlphaTauri despite not scoring any points. Yeah, and, and they will have some chances. I mean, we're talking about you know a team running away with it at the front, but there is a pack of closely knitted teams, and there's going to be a lot of these battles, and this will be the biggest talking point. I do expect McLaren to improve. If you have a look at the rest of those teams, there will be opportunities to pick up points. So I've, I feel Yuki Tsunoda, if he carries on racing the way he has in his two races, he will get plenty of chances for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should turn our attention, of course, talking about that battle for P10. Kevin Magnussen ultimately winning out for Haas. Huss will be delighted with that. They were very close to getting points in Bahrain. This weekend, they did get points. Hulkenberg, another solid performance in P12. So, 
as I said, it's only one point. But I think given how tight this midfield battle is right now between the likes of Alpha Tauri, Alfa Romeo, Haas, McLaren and Williams, every point's going to count in this battle. And P6, it could go to literally, I'm still backing on McLaren, but it still could go to any of them yeah. right now by the end of the season. Yeah, because even though McLaren are bringing the B-spec car, who's to say it's going to work? Well, that's it. And, is... and for Haas, it's going to be very critical, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and we know that there's going to be there's going to be some mental races, some wet races, and these teams have to be on the ball. If we have, you know, you go to places like Spa or Suzuka, which can famously bring some stonking results, these teams could have a real opportunity to propel themselves from 10th in the constructors to 6th. So a lot of it's going to come down to the driver talent, and I think this is why I'm not too worried for McLaren. I feel they've got the best driving pairing down there. I was really happy with Piastri today. And I'm happy about the Williams team as well. So a lot of excitement around the area. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how they go. Of course, you know, we should move on and talk a little bit about Alfa Romeo. I mean, Joe Guan Yu had a decent day finishing P13. Mm-hmm. As, as I said, the midfield battle, they were all so congested. It was great to see. We didn't really see enough of that in this race today. No. I know the narrative was to focus on what was going on at the front, but I think we can all agree everyone kind of spaced themselves out and it was more of an anticipation of what could be. It always builds up in F1 races over time that you think, okay, it's going to build up to be a grandstand finale. Ended up being a bit of a damp squib, really, and it never really materialised. Very anticlimactic, if you like, other than Max going for that fastest lap at the end, which I must admit was quite entertaining. It just shows how you know, how much they want to win every single point. And, you know, you've got to say fair play to that. But as I said, Zhou Guan Yu, not a bad race, did all right. Bottas had a bit of a mare, though, didn't he? Finishing uh, last of all the confirmed runners. Uh, I think I was just remembering a quote from him after the race, and he said that the, the car didn't feel right. We couldn't get any grip from the beginning of the race. I ran over a large piece of debris on lap one, which I'm going to assume is Oscar Piastri's front end plate that would have come off when he had a bit of an incident uh, when he made contact with Pierre Gasly. Of course, we'll talk about Piastri in a bit. Um, And then it it looked like he was carrying damage. As I said, we didn't see that on the coverage, or at least I didn't see it. I might have missed that. But uh, yeah, a bit of a mare for Bottas, considering how well he drove in Bahrain. But again, look, he's going to be one of the drivers that are going to have more better days than worse ones. He's probably going to be the guy that will carry the team and then we'll be there. And I mentioned these chaotic races. Valtteri will be one of the guys to mop up those all-important results that will tally up throughout the year 2023 season. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, quick word on Williams before we talk about mm-hmm. McLaren at the end. Um, bit unfortunate for Williams. They showed some pretty good pace. Qualifying was pretty, pretty good. Um... And in the race, yeah, it just didn't pan out for them. I mean, Alex Albon was doing okay, but then, of course, he had an issue with the car, which uh, caused him to retire. I think he was saying it was a bit of a brake failure. So, of course, you know, when that happens, you especially on a circuit like Jeddah, you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, he's going to have to pit and retire that car because you don't want him driving at full tilt and then the car just doesn't stop. The aero can only do so much. Logan Sargent, not a bad drive. Wasn't the points that I was kind of hoping he would get this weekend as one of my predictions, but uh, I think a lot of lessons will be learned from Logan Sargent's perspective. I think despite the fact that the performance kind of filtered away towards the end of the race and went away from him, he was in the fight and doing a very good job. Perhaps it's a case of tyre management and a few other things. 
he'll only learn from that. But I don't think it was a bad performance from him at all. I think he did pretty well. No, you're right. Learning lessons. I think we don't need to look back at his qualified performance as well. He had a couple of lap times deleted and we saw the frustration building and he started making mistakes. That obviously messed up his qualifying. But these are the type of things that, you know, drivers refine as they gain experience. So you're absolutely right. It's just about in taking the positives because he's actually started better than some people probably thought he would have. But it's just a it's just a case of refining of what he's already good at. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that should not be understated, of course. Um, I was trying to think of a point I was going to make. Yeah, actually, one thing I did notice throughout the race, Corny, and I noticed this in Bahrain, and I kind of want to get your input, see if you notice mm-hmm. this too. I know Williams are a little bit strapped for cash at the moment, and obviously are going to have a harder time meeting the budget cap than others. But can someone get James Vowles a decent microphone, please? Because I don't know if anyone else heard this, but it's like, you know, when they talk to the pit wall with Sky, mm. and, you know, usually we're going to go to the pit wall and Sky, and it's Christian Horner. No, <laughs> um, no but today it was James Vowles. I think they talked to him yeah. in Bahrain. People will know what I'm getting at. I'm obviously joking on Christian. But, um, yeah, with James Vowles, we're talking to him, and the microphone quality was awful. And it was in Bahrain, and I thought, you know what, maybe it's just weird signal or something like that I don't yeah know. but then it was like that in Jeddah and his was really bad and I thought to myself is it just a signal thing or instead of using the mic that he would talk into when he talks to the drivers has he decided to just grab his mobile phone he's got 3g <laughs> on it or something like that and or even worse the e symbol comes up like for edge whatever that was back in the day that just never worked and he's got like one bar and he's trying to do it on an old phone it just sounded so bad it's like yeah, a, it's, yeah. It's, he's he's probably uh, got the same audio I had when I started recording the podcast. <laughs> I was just thinking it sounded a bit like when we first started making this pod. And for those of you that want to know what that was like, we do have episode one in the archive somewhere on YouTube or your favorite pod platform. So uh, go and have a listen. Listen to James Vowles' radio comms. And uh, yeah, someone start a charity pot for James Vowles at Williams to get him a decent microphone. I'm sure I've got a spare one in the drawer I could probably give him that I spent about 20 quid on when I first started doing this. So, uh, yeah, just a f- just some food for thought. I don't know. If it's just me, then, you know, I'll take the L on that one. But let me know in the comments that one. Did anyone else notice that with James Vowles on the Sky F1 pit wall? Sky needs to get him better headphones uh, so they can hear him a little bit better on the broadcast. McLaren, let's talk about them. Saturday, Oscar Piastri, phenomenal. Back down to earth on Sunday after that incident with Oscar Piastri completely ruined his race. And it's so unfortunate because it was an incident where he was a little bit hesitant and conservative. He didn't want to throw his car in there and cause unnecessary damage when he obviously knew that the car, he needed to make sure he avoided any incidents to have a good race. And then perhaps he was a bit too cautious and got himself caught up where a bit of the front wing end plate on the right hand side gets damaged, then has to make an early pit stop. And it just completely ruins his race. So, um, yeah, some positives, some negatives to take. However, I will make this point with Oscar Piastri. Not only did he beat his teammate today, which despite the fact that they were fighting for, what was it, 17th and 18th at the time, still a great job to beat Lando Norris in the same car. It must be said, he looked very good in that regard. But he also did 49 laps on the hard tyres. Now, we know this is a low-deg circuit, and we saw today with Sir Lewis Hamilton that despite the mediums doing 34 laps, we didn't think he was going to go that far on them, and he managed to do pretty well. Piastri pitted on lap one 
at the end of it and then did the whole race. He didn't pit during the safety car, which I thought was a bit strange, probably should have done, but he ended up going the rest of the race on hard tyres and he still beat his teammate, Lando Norris. And you know what? I've got to say well done to Oscar Piastri mm-hmm. on that part. I'm sure when he woke up this morning, he probably hoped maybe he could get some points. But despite the fact they didn't come to fruition, I think he did pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, he also did a good job getting past um, Logan Sargent when Lando was struggling. Um, I feel that Lando, I feel that Lando did pick up some damage, so he might have had some issues with the car. We'll have to go back and check that. Um, but look, he'll be happy with getting one up on his teammate. It's just going to be mixed feelings on McLaren this season because they're going to have the they're going to have the talent. They they do have the talent in that team. But are they going to have the car? I really, really hope they get the car and start mixing it with the uh, some of the other teams that we mentioned because guys like Lando Norris and potentially Oscar Piastri don't deserve to be at the back. No, absolutely. I think that's a fair point. So we'll have to wait and see. But right now, you've got to take the positives where they come for Oscar Piastri. Lando Norris, yeah, wasn't a great weekend for him at all. The car was never there. Qualifying, he had some issues, which took him out of that. In the race, more damage to the front wing. McLaren at this point in time, the last thing they need is to waste money on new parts or fixing this and repairs and everything else. Hopefully these upgrades, when they do eventually come, are going to be a game changer for them because they desperately need them. Still going to back them, favourites for P6 at least, but it's still it's only because it's early days. And at the moment, it does feel like most of the points are going to be taken by Red Bull, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Mercedes, Alpine. Those five teams yeah. do seem to have quite a golf on everyone else. So 10th place is pretty much at a premium at this point in time. So any point is pretty much priceless right now in that fight. Looking at the predictions, Courtney, we had our ones. I remembered mine. Didn't get anything. I think if I remember rightly, I had Max to win, Checo second, signs P3, Oh boy, that was a bit of an L on that one from my part. I also had Sergeant to get points. I had Max to get pole as well. So zero for five or zero for six, if you like, because the bold ones are worth two. So uh, nothing for me. What about your one, Courtney? Did you? So I went Max for pole, Max first, Sergio second, Alonso third. So I nearly got one right. Nearly got one. So was it zero for six as well? Uh, I can't remember what my bold prediction was. Damn. They have come back to me on that. I don't remember the bold prediction. I I, I'm trying to remember what it was. I'll have to go back, but we'll, we'll keep tally of these anyway. So if someone remembers, yeah. you can let us know in the comments, but I'm going to check after we've done recording this anyway, what you said <laughs> for your bold prediction. But um, I remember Lee's and his bold prediction was that Perez was going to win the race and he also had Perez to win the race. So that's a... Uh, a point for Perez winning the race for Lee and uh, two points for Lee for the bowl prediction. He went Max in P2 and he went Alonso P3. Nearly had a clean sweep yeah. if it weren't for that late race penalty. So Lee gets two points for Max and Checo and two points for the bowl prediction with Perez. He had Max for pole in qualifying. We all had Max for pole in qualifying. We didn't anticipate the drivetrain issue. So uh, Neil Poir for me. Possibly a point for you or two points, depending on what your bold prediction was. I have to check that. Four points, though, for Lee out of one race. So uh going to have to stop inviting him to come on the race previews with us in order for us to catch up <laughs> with him on this one. But uh, 
We move on. Uh-huh. There's plenty more races to go in the season. We'll have to wait and see who wins that one. But guys, that's all we've got time for for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the review of the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix. The F1 season very much starting to take some shape. Of course, if you like this video, like it. That really helps us out a lot. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. As mentioned earlier in this episode, our next episode, we're going to be answering your questions based on the F1 2023 season so far and stuff that you think we may have to look forward to as the season goes on. Let us know your questions either in the YouTube comments or on our social media platforms. Courtney, do we still have the email up for DNF1? We don't. We We need to set one up. We need to set one up. So send it to our social media in the time being, and uh, we will answer your questions in the next episode. But until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. Please stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.